Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing podcast. Tips that have a section of floating and a section of sinking tea. Those are called mo tips. Those will come up by some steelhead guides. And I'm sure you know in Pacific Northwest, Edward, Scott O'Donnell, Michael McCune. Those three guys were doing this themselves. They were chopping bits of line up and splicing bits of tea on and creating their own versions. And then said to Jim, hey, can you just go make these for us so we don't have to chop everything up and splice them? Jim said, sure. That was Simon Gosworth with the story behind the creation of the Mo Tip. Steelhead and trout tips, the Steelhead School, and one of the great mentors in fly fishing today on The Swing. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. Hey, how's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. We've got the big, huge Skeena Steelhead Space School going on right now at the Skeena Spay Lodge with Brian Niska. This is going to be a big event. Uh, we're giving away one giant trip right now. You can win that trip, plus a huge gear pack, rods, reels, lines, everything to get you geared up for your next excursion. Uh, on the water, you can check out right now wetflyswing.com slash giveaway and you can enter to win. And also, if you are just so stoked, you want to get right in and just grab a slot for this trip. We've got a limited number of paid slots and you can actually grab those right now. Wetflyswing.com slash school. Check it out right now. Enter your name and uh, and we'll get back to you. Before we get started, let's hear from our sponsor. Angler's Coffee roasts a full range of coffee with one goal in mind, delivering excellent coffee to every single angler. With a blend for every taste, a dry dropper on the go tea bag option, and a roast sampler, you know Joe at Angler's has you covered. You can head over to wetflyswing.com anglers right now to support a sustainable company with unsurpassed taste. That's Angler's, A-N-G-L-E-R-S. Simon Gosworth is back on the podcast today to drop some spay knowledge bombs all day long. You're going to discover which spay line and tip you need for trout and steelhead this year. We find out what Simon's schools look like. Uh, he digs into that and uh, shares a little insight there. And we get the rundown on what event you can find Simon at this year. He's got a bunch of stuff going. It's amazing. This guy is like, uh, he's kind of like Superman. It sounds like he's just got everything going. He talks about his new role with Farbank. We get into that. Another fly fishing superstar for you today. Here we go. Simon Gosworth from Real Products and Farbank.com. How you doing, Simon? Well, good day, Dave. I'm great, actually. Thanks. Um, on a beautiful sunny day, so the mood is good. Amazing. Yeah, it's good to have you back on here. It's been, I was just looking. This is crazy to think about this, but episode nine, you were gracious enough to come on when we first started, and now we're like over 450 episodes. Are you kidding me? Well, if it's gone strong. I know. So you, I appreciate you for, and I, it's amazing, right? It's great to have you back because we've chatted over the years and obviously you're at the forefront of everything Spay and Rio and all that stuff. So, you know, you're out there. So it's good to catch up. I wanted to use today as like a catch up point. Maybe talk a little bit of what you have going with your products and, and Rio and lines and maybe steelhead trout Spay, but let's, let's just take us back to since, you know, gosh, what's it been since 2018? I mean, right. It's been a while. Seriously. I didn't realize that. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Yeah. So what has been going, I guess maybe just take this last year. I know you're busy, super busy now, but what's been keeping you busy? Uh, I had a kind of a change in my job role, if you like. I, I moved from working directly for Rio as their brand manager, which I did for about, I don't know, the last 20 years. 
um, moved into a, what they call an education and engagement manager role for Clarvac, which is the holding company, if you like, the parent company of Rio, Sage, Reddington, Flywater Travel. So they kind of, they like the, the videos and the teaching and the, and the demos and that kind of stuff that I did for Rio as part of my brand manager, but wanted to expand it out to incorporate all the brands and work with Flywater Travel because that way we can add hosted trips and residential schools rather than kind of daily schools. Um, it's really, I mean, it's been fantastic because it's put me right up what I did before I moved to America and taken me out of the office and away from marketing projects, you know, which I just didn't enjoy and really wasn't very good at. Yeah, that's right. So you got out of the, a little bit out of the marketing and into the like out doing events and travel and kind of, uh, yeah. What would you describe that? Because I know you're doing some stuff in uh, like, um, I think with a uh, big sky, I think you do have a trout spay thing coming there. And I've heard about some of these cool things you have going. Is that kind of what it is now? You're just out doing more of these trips. Or are you actually doing like doing multi-day trips or is it more like single day clinics and stuff? It's more of a multi thing. Uh, uh, the, when I got this, this role and it was kind of, hadn't been uh, a position at Farbang before. So it was really mine to run with and, um, and so the, the gist of the schools that you're talking about are, we pull on a, a four-day residential school that is based on the format of the schools I had in England. So teaching rather than guiding, you know, complete teaching. And so there's casting days and knots and learning about gear, learning about bugs where it's on a trout school, learning about how to fish a river, all the techniques, and usually finishing off with a day or two days guided fishing to put into practice everything learned. So yeah, they are residential and that's why it works pretty well through Flywater Travel because, you know, they have a number of lodges that they work with. And so we partner with those lodges and um, put together these programs and, and they've been really, really good. They've been, it's been so good to be getting out on the water teaching. Yeah. Right, right. That's it. That's what's cool about Flywater. And we've had an episode uh, where we chatted on that and we dug into that and, um, yeah, I mean, it's cool because they're all over the place. Where is Flywater? I know they've got lodges and connections. Are you focusing more in North America or are you doing some stuff outside of it? The schools are definitely all um, North America, uh, mostly U.S. I got this one school in B.C. in August, a space school up with uh, a friend of ours, Brian Niska, but most of them are in the U.S. itself, uh, except the hosted trips. So I, I also do a few hosted trips. I just kind of let's go along and um, try and, limit the number of anglers to the number of days we have fishing. So if you have a six day trip, I take six anglers and I fish with each angler for a day and help them with their casting and tell silly stories and just kind of be part of the, a part of the thing. So those ones tend to be out of the U S as an Argentina in January and I'll be in Mexico next week and wow. Alaska in June and Iceland in July. And those are all hosted trips rather than schools. Oh, gotcha. Hosted. Yeah. So you're there as. Yeah, you're a host, so that you're kind a of host. hanging. You're not doing as much fishing as you might be doing if you're on your, uh, doing some other type of trip. Yeah, exactly. It's, I mean, it's nice because I, I, again, I get that interaction that I, I like. I like teaching or working with people and being with people, uh, and then I get to fish behind them. You know, if I'm fishing with somebody for a day, then I can get get to fish behind them or watch them and try different techniques. And uh, I, you know, they've been they've been really sick. just so much fun. Yeah, that's cool. No, I think this is great. And that, that's one of the things we have going. We've, you know, since we, well, since we talked to you, you know, or at least on the podcast, you know, over the years, we've built a little bit of a travel program and it's been fun because it's just been a way to connect with our listeners more. You know, like these people listening now, you know, we're always trying to provide the best content we can through the podcast and obviously getting people like you back on is a key part of that. 
So I want to talk about that. You mentioned Niska, uh, Brian Niska, who is, he's got this cool operation. Uh, we just talked to him and he dug in. We had some podcast, an episode on that. I was hoping to dig a little bit on, on the, because, you know, the motive and all that stuff that Rio has going has been coming up quite a bit, not only through Brian, but other people. I was hoping you can clarify that. But yeah, talk about that. What's the Skeena, you know, for you? Have you been up there? Is that something you go up there all the time? Or is this, what's the, how's that look to you? No, I, I've, I went up there. I mean, I've known Brian for years and years and years, of course, on the circuit. And uh, Adrian, uh, one of the guys I've known her for a long time. So I've known those people. I've, I've only been to their lodge once about three years ago, went up to do, maybe four years ago, certainly pre-COVID. Um, went up to do a photo shoot, a steelhead photo shoot. And uh, with one of our ambassadors, photographer ambassadors, and spent four or five days there fishing with them. So but this is the first time we've really put a school together that uh, focuses on just you know, a school environment rather than photo shoot. Yeah. And what does that mean for you? I, you hear a lot about this, you know, the school. We we talk about it. I think a lot of people do. How does a school differ for you, say, versus like, um, you know, a clinic or any of that other stuff that's out there? Well, a school is more thought out. You know, it's a structured school. This one's kind of angled for the new to Spain, new to steelhead Heckler. Uh, it's planned out. You know, there's morning lectures and there's evening lectures and there's, you know, there's sort of two days of casting and there's knots. People learn how to tie the knots. They learn about, we have tackle lectures. So people will learn about the mo tips and versa leaders and replacement tips. They'll learn skagits and scandies. They'll learn about rod actions and what they're suitable for and what leaders cast and turnover flies. So it's a very structured process rather than just going out fishing with somebody where that's an unstructured lesson where you kind of add prompts and tips here and then. But this one, they'll go away with a booklet that covers all the course and yeah. going to learn this all the spay cast and what lines use with what spay cast, what wind conditions and how to read the river and how to fish a river and uh, where fish lie. So kind of completely structured program with the idea at the end, somebody can come as never having spay cast or steel headed before, go to the most beautiful, beautiful BC water. It's just so pretty up there. And spend four or five days learning and fishing and, and go back confident that they can, you know, just do their own steelhead fishing after that. So it's very different from those, as I said, there's one-on-one clinics or two-on-one clinics where you just tweak what you see, but don't really educate. Right. Does that makes any sense. Yeah, that does. That makes total sense. What do you remember about the, uh, the, the, uh, Brian's, uh, lodge up there? Is there anything that sticks out? Oh, it's stunning. I, I, it's just beautiful. They have such an incredibly good chef. I, I love their little, the little pool table there. So shoot some pool in the evenings. We won't be this time because we'll be doing lectures. <laughs> That's right. No pool. They, there's not going to be enough time. For, they have golf too, right? Or they yeah, have a uh... time. Uh, yeah, there's a lovely home pool where you can just walk down and practice casting. So we don't have to go far. They got some incredibly good jet boats so they can access a lot of water. Yeah. And they're just good people, you know. As I said, I know Brian and Adrian particularly for so, for so many years, and they're just people I like to be with. They make it very down-to-earth and relaxed. And so it's just a great place. I, you know, I think it's just a great place to do a school and to do a space school. There's probably no better place to do that other than maybe the River Spey. Oh, right. In North America, why wouldn't you want to go to BC and learn to catch steelhead and silver salmon on in such a beautiful lodge? Right. Yeah. And it's a good big river, right? I mean, I know there's variation in the river, but you're fishing the Skeena, right? The main stem Skeena down there. So it's a decent sized river. Predominantly that, yeah. And then the copper, the Kalem, possibly, and certainly the Kalem. 
yeah, yeah. Cool. Well, let's talk about lines a little bit because, you know, Rio comes up all the time because you guys have some good stuff going. And, you know, and I give a shout out, you know, I always think of that because you were kind of there early on for me, you know, with the uh, modern spay casting, right? Have you guys done anything? You know, that video was so early on was so important for a lot of people. Have you done anything like that similar? Do you have ideas to put together a big or is that kind of the video stuff is kind of gone, that long form stuff? Yeah, it seems to have gone, you know, um, you know, I know our product development team look at the sales of DVDs, the quantities, and just say, it's just not there. So we, we, we've transitioned it into online video education. While there isn't exactly the um, equivalent of that modern spade casting comprehensive triple disc whammy set you're talking about, there's a number of videos that we've done, some that I've done at Rio, which is basic. How to make a single spay, how to make a double spay, how to make a snake roll. So, you know, people will find those online at YouTube and they're free, which is good good for them. Yep. And and we've just started uh, last year, this, we've just released the second season of a, a Far Bank Education series, which is a much more structured, much more detailed, very, very polished series that uh, hasn't yet touched on spay. The first season was new to fly, so... Like the first episode, what is fly fishing? Why would you go fly fishing? What is a fly rod? That kind of stuff. The real basics. Now, and this season we've just launched, well, we're in the middle of launching this season and it's an you know, episode on dry fly fishing in a river, an episode on nymphing and streamer fishing, an episode on soft tackle fishing, episode on essential river casts. So more detailed kind of 201 educational things, but again, not touching on spay. Yep. And right now we're writing the script for season three, and that's where we start to get into a bit of trout spay, uh, but not the two-handed salmon spay, steelhead spay, but trout spay. So that will evolve, and they're a bit more comprehensive. They're half an hour intensive lessons um, that will, again, they're free. They're good. Is They're on YouTube, uh, which is good. Yep. Where could they track those down? Those are on um, on YouTube. There's a channel called Far Bank, which is just our head company. They have a YouTube channel, and those episodes are on Farbank YouTube Farbank channel. Perfect. Yeah, we'll we'll check those out. So, and those are it sounds like those are going to continue as you go. Just keep producing those, and over time, they'll probably be a bigger library than maybe the the original DVD videos potentially, right? They ultimately will, right? Because it's um, you know we're, we're planning on shooting six or seven episodes a year, and my my episode list goes on for at least six or seven years of covering everything because I want to cover things in there like a bonefish episode for people going with bonefish, a tarpon episode, a striper episode, a space steelhead, salmon, pike, perch, you know, episodes of most things people can chase with a flies. So we, there's a lot of longevity in this thing that I like the sound of. So yeah, I think it's going to go down really well. Um, but again, if anyone's listening to this and is interested, they, I'd love to get some feedback, whether they think this is a good format or not a good format, because it's a completely different format than anything we've done before. Oh, great. Well, I'll definitely check it out and I'll, we'll definitely send people your way and, and have, uh, should they just uh, reach out to you by email or call you or something like that? How do they get a hold of you? They can ping me on social, like on Instagram or Facebook, or they can put comments. I kind of, I, I do check the Farbank YouTube comments. Um, so they can just say on there, Hey, pretty cool. Or what an idiot. What are you doing with that haircut? <laughs> right. Put a wig on. <laughs> right. That's right. <laughs> Whatever they wouldn't say. Cool. And what's your, what's your social? What's your on Instagram? It's the Simon goes with. Yeah. Sam Gosworth, gotcha. Okay, so this is good. So let's dig into a little bit on the lines just so uh, we could talk. And we're talking steel. We'll start with steelhead, and then we'll get into some trout maybe if we have time. But what is, so we're heading out there, and I was just talking to somebody about rods 
and we were talking about like the echo spade. You know, everybody's got a great spade rod out there. But what do you think, what would be the rod for the Skeena? What is the, you know, going up there, what are you going to be bringing, like length and, and weight? You know, I think for steelheading, you're not going to do badly with something like a, an 8 weight or a 7 weight, depending on water height. 9 weight's a bit overkill, especially in the summer summer fisheries, which we'll be doing in August. Uh, maybe in big water, October, November, where there's some rain and the rivers are big and you're going to throw heavy flies and sink tips. So it's a longer, stouter stick's going to be good but I, I think a seven or an eight is really the go-to and that's probably all i'm going to be taking up there sevens and eights okay so i was saying like a probably a 12 and a half foot or somewhere in that range yeah that's a nice size you know it's it's short enough and light enough that it's going to be um just uh, uh comfortable to use not tiring it's not going to be overweight or unbalanced it's just a very perfectly balanced that's good and as we get into this, I also want to follow up with, uh, we've had some conversations about, you know, people heading back into more of the longer belly stuff. I'm sure you've got a, you see, you've got an opinion on that, but let's stick with this just for a second. So, so we got 12 and a half foot, whatever, 12, 13 foot, eight weight up there. What is the line? What is the real line somebody should be getting up? Like if they want to just go in and pick up the whole setup, tips, everything, what should they get for this? Um, so let's, uh, if it's, you say 12 foot six, something around yeah. that size, eight weight. Mm-hmm. So Skagits and Scandies, right? I, I know those conversations have bandied around quite a long time. So most people probably, hopefully, are aware of Skagits and Scandies. So we'll go down there. Generally speaking, people want to look for the uh, slightly longer heads in that 24 to 26 foot length for a, a longer rod rather than the short ones. As most, most line companies now have heads that are short heads designed for switch rods and regular length heads designed for spay rods. And usually the cutoff is 12 foot. So if the rod is longer than 12 foot, then you want those longer heads. So really uh, on an eight weight, I like 550 grains. Um, I set up 575 grains for a Skagit line for a beginner. Uh, I think 550 grains is is enough for somebody who's got control um, and can feel the rod. But if you can't feel the rod because you're getting into it, 575 grains is probably a good starting point on an eight weight. Like in the Rio stable, we have a, a Skagit Max launch and a match, Max power. The launch is the longer version. So for this BC school, I'll be certainly taking up some of these longer launches, but also take up some Scandies because there's definitely times when you want to fish these lighter flies and you don't need heavy sinking tips. And, and those Scandies are more, I think they're more enjoyable to cast. So a Scandy, a little bit lighter, like a 520 Scandy is, is a pretty good weight on a a uh, seven or an eight weight rod. So a little bit lighter. You generally want lighter Scandies than you do Skagits for a given rod size because you don't want the rods to flex so deeply. Okay. And on the Scandy, what's the name of the Scandy line you guys have? Just a real Scandy. It's as simple as that. It's, um, you know, there's there's various versions. There's the 3D, which is a triple density Scandy, which is a technical thing and probably a, a really good fishing line, especially when you get some water height. But I think I would keep it simple. I would just have a real fl- Scandy, a floating version of that about 520 grains on an eight weight. And off that, you can fish regular and tapered leaders, nine foot or 12 foot long. Or you can put on versa leaders, kind of sinking leaders, intermediate sinking leaders, if you want to get just below the surface a little bit. Those are really good additions. But that's a great system on the Scandi. And then, as I said, the Skagit Max launch, that's a good, that's your Skagit version. And if you set yourself up right and you've got a real a shooting line, you can just switch heads out as you're on the water according to conditions changing, as you know yeah. that. Probably most listeners know that, but if, if they don't, then that's a good thing to be in is, is you can get this interchangeability. 
Okay. Yeah. We can switch it out. And then what is that? What do you like for running line? What is your, you know, there's a lot of different running lines out there. There are. And I think the running lines are, well, they're obviously an integral part of the consideration. So there's two types. There's a thin, thin fly line, what we call a coated fly line or coated running line. And then there's just hard mono, which is literally like 25 pound monofill. Those monos will give you more distance. There is no doubt about that. The monofill shooting lines will give you a lot of distance. And if you really need distance because the river's big and you need the biggest cast, you probably want to go with those. Um, we have slick shooters, our mono. We also actually do what's called a grip shooter, which is a, a mono, but we actually coat the front 16 or 17 feet in a thick coating. So when you stripped it in, people can grab it, oh, right. nice. hold it and cast and get the benefit of the monofill, but get the benefit of gripping. So that's grip shooter. That's a pretty rad one. But um, to be honest, I mean, if distance is the prime requisite, I would set up with grip shooter. But I, I like the, I have to say, over the, over the years of fishing and testing these things and catching fish and losing fish, I've got to say that for me, the, the low stretch shooting lines are hands down a better shooting line for hooking and landing a fish. Uh, we have one called a metered shooting line. It's low stretch. It means that, I'll give you a very simple idea, a low stretch line the in-touch shooting lines we have are having a stretch of 6%. That's the lowest shooting line we've ever made, a 6% called in-touch. Your regular shooting line is about a 30% stretch. What that means is if you have 100 foot of it out, you can pull 6 feet before it stops stretching, or you can pull 30 feet. So when you've made a long cast and you try and set the hook and you've got a lot of bunginess in it, you just don't drive the hook home as firmly as you do with a low stretch line. So for me... My catch rate has gone up so exponentially just by going to a low stretch line that I'll sacrifice 10 or 15 feet of distance for the hookup rate increase. There you go. So you don't have to always, you're not out, even though you're the greatest, you know, Simon Gosworth, you're not always bombing out huge casts out there. Far <laughs> <laughs> from it. I mean, gosh, you know, those fish run up this inside. You know, if you're a third man down the pool, fourth man down the pool, you might start to want to throw out some bombs. But, you know, the first time I really... I vividly, vividly, I remember the pool and I, on the Deschutes when I, I really sort of stumbled on this. I was fishing this slick shooter it's for steelhead and it was a September school I was teaching down there. And it was an afternoon of uh, just fishing. The lessons had finished for the day, so I was fishing. And I, I had a great morning or great afternoon and I, I hooked four steelhead in about, I don't know, 30 minutes. Nice. This one meal out and every one of them came off. And I thought, oh my God, why am I losing this fish? I don't know, should I set the hook harder? Should I give it more slack? You know, you go through this thought process. And I changed to the uh, the meter shooting line, which wasn't called the meter shooting line, but the same kind was called connect core shooting line. And hooked three more fish and landed all three of them, just straight up. And I'm, just, you know, since then, I'm just so convinced that the hookup rate is better with that low stretch. And then playing a fish, you know, if you want to turn a fish away from a from the edge of a run or going into some rocks or some branches again if you try and turn that fish and you have low stretch you can turn that fish immediately right where it's a stretchy one you're pushing the pressure in and it's just stretching the line you just don't control the fish gotcha so for me that low stretch line is a much better fish catching but you definitely won't get the distance okay perfect yeah that's a good that's a good tip so you mentioned in the skagit and scandy so i guess if we're fishing there the choice there is depending on the size, right? The size of the flies and what sort of tips you're needing. I guess you're going to bring both of those up to the Skeena. 
Yeah, that's exactly it. Because some days you might have a headwind, right? The Skagit's turn over better than a headwind. There's no doubt that a Skagit head has more mass, more what's called line power, um, will turn over a sinking tip. And so if I, if you need to fish T14 because the river's fast, you know, the run you're fishing is really fast or it's deep and you need to get down or maybe it's rained and there's a bit of extra current speed and you're going to throw T14. T14 is called T14 because every foot weighs 14 grains, right? So that's a good number. Yep. T11, every foot weighs 11 grains. T8, every foot weighs 8 grains. So the reason I say that is if you were to take a Skagit Max launch, for example, in that 575 grains, and you were to weigh the front tip of that, it's going to come in at something like 14 or 16 grains. So it's really easy to put on a T11 tip to that because it, the tip is slightly lighter. Uh, if you put a Scandi head on, the Scandies are much more tapered. The front of the same size of Scandi, that 520, it's going to only have a tip grain weight of about six or seven grains. So now you put on T11 or T14 and you're asking six grains to turn over 11 oh, and 14. Right. They don't really do it. Yeah. And so, yes, if you're fishing heavy sink tips or heavy flies, you've got to have an engine that's powerful enough to turn them over and that's going to be a Skagit. Exactly. So that's basically it. So if you, and when would you, because the Scandi is nice because it's lighter using smaller stuff, but when could you, you know, with the Scandi, what's the, how far can you go up on uh, sinking it down with the Scandi? Are you just putting in, like you said, the Versa tips sort of thing, or would you ever be putting any sort of a tip on there? Well, it does depend, right? So a regular Scandi is going to be tapered all the way down to the front end. And there's no Scandi, even our 700 or 640, I think is the biggest one. I don't think the tip of that, front tip of that, is even going to take a T14. Uh, it's just, I mean, you can make a work by just increasing the amount of ferocity you cast with and the amount of speed you cast with. You can absolutely make things work, but I, I'm talking about making things as efficient and as effortless as possible. And so we do have, and I'm sure you're aware of it, the Scandi Versa tips. Yep. To give a listener an idea, what we do there is if you have a, a Scandi Versa that's, say, 35 feet long, and it's the front 25 feet is all front taper. So the front end is the thinnest. And then as you get back, it gets fatter and fatter because it's all taper. With a Scandi Versity, what we do is we chop that line 15 feet from the front and then put a loop on and reconnect the tip. So if you remove that floating tip and fished what's just called the body section, because it's continuous taper, that body has so many more grains at the front end, right. that will turn over a T14 or a T11 tip. But if you don't use the verse tip and just attach it to the full tapered thing with this light, delicate front end, you are going to be exhausted and, and frustrated with your casting performance because that line cannot turn it over. Gotcha. Gotcha. So the Scandi, so if you had a Scandi, um, you know, a real, a Scandi line, you would want to put a Versa tip on there, some type of verse tip, or are you ever fishing it with something else? If it's a full integrated Scandi with like, with no cuts and no loop-to-loop joins, you can put any of the sinking leaders on. The sinking leaders are designed, you know, they're much lighter. They're 40 grains for the entire 10-foot leader, so they're much lighter. They will go on the front end of a Scandi. But if you're talking about a Versatip even, you could get away with them. They are a bit lighter than T14 and T11. But really, those are, again, designed to go on the Versatip body where you unloop that floating tip it comes with and then loop on a, an equivalent size sinking tip and those sections that connect to each other will match up in, in terms of mass and weight and therefore casts effortlessly 
This is amazing. Yeah, I love getting into the numbers because I mean, for a beginner, you know, this is these are the numbers that are confusing. But when you get into it, it's kind of fun, right? You dig into it, and there's probably there's easy ways to avoid this. You can just go in and probably there's a chart that says, "Hey, you buy this rod; it's, it needs this grain weight." Right? <laughs> do, do you guys have any of that for your stuff? Because I mean, this is a lot. You got Versa tips. You got you got the sinking leaders. You got uh, the mo all that stuff. Is there an easy way if somebody wants to dig further to get this fully clarified out there? There actually, uh, there isn't a chart, but one of the videos we did at Rio was how to choose your sink tip. Uh, and that one dials into the difference between mo tips, T tips, ver- replacement tips, versa leaders, talks about the grains, shows exactly what tip. So if anyone's listening to this and the words I say just make no sense because my hands are gesticulating crazily here in front of my laptop, but nobody can see it. <laughs> um, but if you went to the Rio YouTube channel, not the far bank one, it's not on the far bank, it's on the Rio products one. And there you just put in how to choose a sink tip. That will run through all of that, how how to determine the right size tip for um, for the line you're putting it on. Awesome. We'll get that in the show notes so people can click over and take a look at that. That's awesome. Um, talk about the T. We've talked about this before. Who came up with this crazy T11, T? Like, what's the story there? So there's like two stories. Um, the initial story is that, so there's the T tips and the Mo tips. Okay, and the T-tips, for those who don't know, T-tips are just level sinking. No taper, we just make like, you know, a 1,500-foot long section of it and then chop it up into 15-foot lengths, 10-foot lengths, 12-foot lengths, 30-foot lengths, whatever we need, and that is a T-tip. And T stands for tungsten. In the early days, um, the equivalent was LC, lead core, but that has a lead impregnation, which obviously nobody wants to use lead anymore. So way back when rio started making sinking lines they jim the boss at the time made the decision to use tungsten instead of lead and so we've always made sinking tips out of tea tungsten so that was a jim vincent thing and then the mo tips themselves which are tips that have a section of floating and a section of sinking tea those are called mo tips those will come up by some steelhead guides and I'm sure you know in Pacific yeah. Northwest, Edward, Scott O'Donnell, Michael McCune, those three guys were doing this themselves. They were chopping bits of line up and splicing bits of tea on and creating their own versions and then said to Jim, hey, can you just go make these for us so we don't have to chop everything up and splice them? Jim said, sure. There you go. So that's it. And so yeah. And so the motives, yeah, you hear a lot about that. It probably is the thing out there you hear it seems like the most. And why do you think those are so good? You know, we've talked about a few things, but I guess the motives are perfect for like you're saying the skagit stuff you got going on. That can turn over. Or talk about that. Where would you be using these motives and where wouldn't you? Yeah, the motives are again, you did right, you hit nail on the head without that. You know, they're a level sinking material that weighs whatever weight it is. 14, 14 grains a foot, T11, 11 grains a foot. So the Mo's will have this T on the front end. And those are pretty powerful. So those are really, really good on Skagit's, which are powerful heads. Um, if you put those on Scandies, the Scandies tend not really to have the, the balls to be able to throw them and turn them over. So they do need to go on a Skagit. And essentially, because they're so powerful, if you put on a small, lightweight, I don't know, uh, Harry Mary, for example, you know, a little salmon fly on there. There's, there's so much weight in those sink tips that the when you make a good cast, it'll turn over with so much speed, it'll kick and lash and present very poorly oh, on the water. Yeah. Well, they're not good for small flies. They're good for heavy flies or big 
Yep, yep, flipping it up. So, and the lengthwise, you said like the five, talk about the different um, types of MOTIPs. And, you know, you hear about the five and five, the T11. What would you be using up on the Skeena? And then what's the most popular? Well, that's a guy, that's a, actually, that's a really good question. Um, I mean, I know I'll just say Brian Niska. I just talked to him. So I know he said the, he said the T, if you had to pick one, he was like the T11, right? So the, yeah. So that's kind of, you're right. That's right in the middle. That's the 11. So if you had five feet of it, that'd be like 55 grains on your front, on the front five. Well, that's just the sinking section. Yeah. If you had a five and five, right? Then you got the five foot of floating as well attached to it. So more like 110. Um, so it's, it's interesting, right? The, are, huh, it's interesting and confusing. The reason Brian says T11 is that the T11 and medium Mohs is a perfect balance to any Skagit head between 575 grains and 475 grains. That is just that the mass of the Skagit and the mass of the Mo tips are pretty equal, so they'll cast well. Above 575 grains, you need T14 really as a bat match. Gotcha. Below 475, you need T8 as a match. So there's the size of the family, which is dictated by the size of the Skagit. Yeah, that's confusing as all hell. I never <laughs> makes uh, sense. And then within that are the length of the mows. You call the, you say the five and five, and what that refers to is five feet of floating and five feet of sinking. And that is probably, I would argue, between the ten foot of sinking or the five and five would be the most used tips of them all. Right. What else is there in the line? Well, they change every two and a half feet. So in other words, if you were to take the complete family, you start with essentially, imagine they're all 10 foot long. Uh, they're not, but imagine they are. So you can get 10 foot floating. And then if they change it every two and a half feet, you can get seven and a half foot floating with two and a half foot of sinking. You can get the five and the five. You can get two and a half foot floating, seven and a half foot sinking, and you can get your 10 foot of sinking. And in addition, there's another one that's 12 and a half foot of sinking, just an extra long dredging tip. So those are the tips that these all these low families come in, these length options. And again, really, if you wanted to pick, you, I don't think you should ever pick one because five and fives and the 10 foot are, they go hand in hand. They, with those two, you can cover almost every fishing situation. That's what I would start off with. I mean, you should probably get all of them, right? Because they're going to want to skate a dry fly, so you'll need a floater or one day you'll need a really short tip just to drop in behind a boulder, whereas a long sink tip will swing into the boulder. A two and a half at sink tip, you can skip the floating line over and the sinking tip drops behind, right? That's a very specific tip you put on for a specific situation. Probably you should get the entire kit. Of course, I'd say that working for the manufacturer. <laughs> of course. <laughs> but if you don't want to get it, five and five and the 10 foot's ideal. Yeah, is ideal. Okay, perfect. So so that's a little bond on spay and we talked a little steelhead. What is... You know, I know you the trout spay thing. How does that look for you out there? Do you see the trout spay? You know, are you doing more trout spay? I mean, steelhead numbers have been kind of up and down, so you have that. But do you see trout spay kind of growing pretty good out with what you have going? Oh gosh, yeah, trout spay's gone crazy. You know, it's in terms of the the conversations about it, and people who want are interested in learning about it. The number of questions and emails and stuff I get on social, people asking about it, are heavily skewered to trout spay at the moment, and you know, it's. As you alluded to, right, it's uh, the steelhead runs and the salmon runs are declining, unfortunately, and people love the spay casting aspect. And now that there are one weight and two weight trout spay outfits, you know, outfits that are light enough to match the size of fish you're catching, 
They are fabulous little tools. You can do oil a spade game. You can do a swinging game. But now you've got a one weight or a two weight. It's it's fantastic. And it worked. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where the lightest one made was a four weight, and I was drooling over the four weight. Um, that was my summer steelhead rod. I would oh, take nice. that on South Fork of the Snake. I take it to Missouri, Montana, and swing with those. But now that's completely overkill for the trout. Yeah, right. Four weight. And what was the length on that rod? Uh, that was eleven three. Or eleven six. I can't remember what it was. That old one. How far? Where's the transition as you got the two-handed rod down to single-hand spay? Right? Is there some length? Not really. I mean, there's companies out there. I've seen ten foot three inch um, two-handed trout spay slash switch rods. Ten foot six. You know, those ones are two-handed, and equally, I've seen ten foot single-handed rods. And and really, I think it's going to boil down to the fact that as you get those longer sticks. It's harder with the wrist on a single hand to turn over the length of that lever, right? There's a lot yeah. of leverage against you. So a comfortable leverage length, I think, is nine foot. You can handle nine foot six. You can handle 10 foot if you start hauling in what they call the turbo oh, space. Yeah. That takes a lot of the energy out the wrist and that effort and load off the wrist. Um, but if you don't do that, those 10 foot and 10 foot six inch single hand rods become a chore. Really, you probably should be stepping up to a two handed rod there. A two hand. Okay. And then what about on the lines for the trout space? You get into the four, three, two, whatever. Do you guys have a similar lineup to what would somebody be getting for line there? There's similar families, right? There's the Skagit type, which is good for your streamer fishing and your fall stuff with sinking tips. And then there's the Scandi type, which uh, is my driver. My favorite way of all spay fishing at the moment is fishing a team of little soft tackles. Oh, yeah. On a slightly, uh, on a Scandi head with an intermediate tip on. And just swinging them down a run. I mean, I, I love target. I like that spade casting game. So more in that case would be Scandies because flies are so small. They don't need the Skagit. And then you put on a tapered intermediate sinking leader or tip rather than a, a mo tip because, again, that mo tip will land too heavily for the big flies. So, But again, you know, if, you, if you're doing it all, you're fishing soft tackles and small nymphs and then you're going to fish big streamers, then you, sh- you probably should have the Scandi head and the Skagit head and just switch them out as you change your techniques and make them work. How does it compare when you're out there fishing, you know, the Skagit versus Scandi on just casting? You know, let's just say you're on the Deschutes with the Skeena. Well, let's just keep it on the Skeena. You know, if you're swinging out there, do they swing differently? I know there's different things we're talking about here, but just overall, it seems like the Scandi is that lighter line. If if you have the right setup, the right weight and all yeah. that, are they similar? Or are you going to get the similar uh, productivity? I mean, there's, there's a couple of really good observations on that. One of them is that the short, blunt, nature of a Skagit head plus equivalent mo tip means that some of the, and if we're talking about the casting, some of the airborne anchor casts like the single spay and snake roll, they lash a little bit aggressively in when the line's in the air. Those lines need a, a waterborne anchor, sort of a double spay or a snap tee or a snake poke or something like that. They need, they perform much better with a waterborne anchor style of cars. But other than that, you know, no, in terms of fishing, they don't fish hugely different. The Skagit is shorter but fatter, so there's definitely more prone if it's a floating one to get blown around by a strong wind or get hit by a strong current. Scandies are tapered and they have a slightly slower swing. Um, but again, you can negate that by having intermediate or sinking sections to get under the current. And both Scandies and Skagits come in that. What I think is perhaps the most useful um, analogy on that is the, and I'm sure you're aware, is the rule of adding three 
to the Trounce Bay mm. to get the equivalent one-handed rod. A lot of people miss that, you know. I um, and again, taking the two-way Trounce Bay, which is my favorite outfit of all. That was the one I'll 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 fish till the cows come home. Little two-way Trounce Bay. If you add three to that, it makes five. So it's the same line weight as a five weight one handed rod. Yeah. And so that's an important thing to know because if people get into that trout spay world and they're fishing a single handed five weight, I've taught an awful lot of people who've bought a five weight trout spay rod and think the five is a five, which makes sense, right? Yeah, because it does. the homology is the same, but it's not. They're just a completely different standard. That five weight trout spay is the same as an eight or a nine weight one handed. So it's complete overkill for any trout you're likely to catch. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And I think we might've talked about that last time we chatted just on the, the different, you know, uh, schools. well, it's not even schools of thoughts. There's different industry standards, right? The two remind us again on that. There's a couple of different, like, do you see, do you see this ever coming together? No, no. And that's because why it's just been around. It's too long. It's just, they're too different or how, why is that? Well, so the simple answer to that is that a single handed rod, the Aftima standard is based on a 30 foot length of line. A five weight should weigh 140 grains at 30 feet. And the, I asked Tom Dorsey this one years ago when I was working at Thomas and Thomas, um, back in the late nineties, I asked him, he was a rod designer there. I said, how, you can't base a two handed rod on 30 feet, right? Because you, nobody casts 30 feet with a 15 foot rod. You're going to cast a lot more than that. I was like, what do you base it on? And he said, oh no, you base it on 60 feet. Hmm. So. If you had 60 feet of a five weight, it's obviously going to weigh more than 30 feet of a five weight. So that's how the spade rods were bailed out based on this 60 feet of length. And then when standards came together, I think what happened is somebody weighed 60 feet of double tape of five and said, oh, well, six or whatever the iron size was and say, well, 30 feet weighs 140 grains, but the 60 feet, which way it doesn't, but for the sake of simple math, 280 grains. So we should say a five weight rod, two handed should to needs two hundred and eighty grains to load it, and one handed needs one hundred and forty grains to load it. Does that make sense? Sort of. Yeah. So, and when they set the standards up, they based it on some kind of formula like that. That's why they can never be crossover and become one. Right. Even though the majority of heads we fish these days on trout spay rods are less than thirty feet long. Right. Right. So we've come back. We've actually come back. Yeah, so. we've come back. That's interesting. But yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So there's not, yeah, there's not going to be any coming together anytime soon of the, the five weight is never going to be a five weight is a five weight. It won't be the same for the spay. Correct. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, this is good. I think um, we have a little bit of an update there. I mean, when you look at, um, maybe let's just talk quickly here on casting, because that's something that you're obviously an expert in. And the spay cast is a challenge for some people. Yeah. You know, when you look at this, you know, you're going to be on the river with people you see them at these clinics and stuff. What is the, you know, what is the number one thing you see a lot with people out there, maybe either brand new or either they're trying to take that next level? What's the biggest struggle? Oh, I would say there's, um, for the, probably the commonest one is people not using their bottom hand when casting, you know, it's a two-handed rod. And I mean, literally the worst client I can have is somebody who rings up and uh, wants to book a lesson. Have you done any fishing before? Yeah, I fished 50 years. Right. That's the worst. Oh my God, I got 50 years of ingrained oh, one-handed right. casting mistakes. So you like the beginner. You like the total newbie. Well, it, for people who do the 50 years, I just t t tell them to swap hands oh. and learn left-handed because there's no muscle. Memory. 
That's a great idea. And they learn so much faster that way. So that's a common one, right? People not using the bottom hand, not using it, the top hand as a pivot point. They use the top hand as a driver and they drive the top hand out instead of pivoting on it by using the bottom hand. Um, and then controlling the D-loop speed so that the anchor lands in the right place and the D-loop is formed directly opposite their forward stroke is, is another one that people find very difficult. Yep. They tend to, when you stand behind somebody's casting, you say, right, when you pick at that tree, aim at that tree, and then you stand directly behind them in line with that tree, and you look at their D-loop, and the D-loop is nowhere near opposite that tree. They can't make a good cast because the D-loop is not a line. It's like a bow and arrow. You pull the bow back north, your arrow is going to go south. It's physics. And casting is the same. If you have a D-loop going north, and yet you're trying to throw your forward cast east, it doesn't work. Right. And how do you get that D-loop? What's the trick to get your D-loop in line? Is it just practice? You could eventually get it there? Yeah, just practice. It's Some people over-rotate. Um, and in other words, the D-loop is should be 180 degrees from the target. So some people have a D-loop at 200, they're 210 degrees. They are over-rotating their rotational D-loop stroke. And, you know, that's a that's a given. As a teacher, there's, there's tricks and things you can do to stop that. Basically, you tell people to freeze at the end of their D-loop stroke and let the D-loop fall on the water and say, now look, is that aligned with your target? And you go, oh shit, no, it's not. And some people under-rotate. Some people don't rotate enough. And so the D-loop is not 180 degrees. It might be 140 degrees or 150 degrees. So again, it's not aligned with where they're going forward. So there's no energy in the cast. And in those cases, people usually get what's called a collision loop. And the collision loop is a just a nemesis. It just it looks like a tailing loop. It forms tangles and wind knots. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, that's interesting. And I, as you're talking, I was thinking about because we've talked recently about some of the casting, you know, champions and stuff. I mean, I know you're a great caster. Have you ever thought about that or been interested or done any of that? You know, I know Travis Johnson. I think maybe won it this year down. He did. Yeah. yeah. I mean, is that something like? What does that look like to you? These these guys that are like up at the you know the highest levels of casting. Is that is there any interest there for you? Yeah, I mean, there is. Yeah, I love casting, so I'm always seeking to become a better caster. And, you know, I watch Travis, and I've been to the Spay Rammer a number of times, and I love watching those experts, and the, when the Irish and Scots come across, and the Scandinavians come across, and the Japanese, you know, there's this great international event, and Travis is usually up there in the top one, two, or three, which is fantastic. He, he's such a great caster and a great technician. Um, and, I, you know, I... Yeah, sure, I would like to be able to compete with those guys and be as good as that. It, it, and anybody can, right? Anybody can do it. You just got to have the time to practice. Yeah, that's the thing. Is that what it takes? Like, how is Travis, you know, he's done, is it just literally, I mean, the guy is just, it's just effort. Same thing. It's just like the Michael Jordan thing. If you practice more than everybody else, you're going to be the greatest. Yeah, I think that a lot of it's that. You've got to practice the right thing. So you've got to have an understanding of, and you need a good coach, somebody who's going to stand behind you and say, look, your D-loop was 178 degrees, not 180. Yeah. That's not good enough, right? Right. To the average angle, that thing's going to whiz out and go, wow, it's great, but they're going to lose five or six feet over a 180-foot cast. That's a huge difference. It takes first to fifth. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. So that that's what it is. It's those little, like the big, everything you talk about, right, on all the stuff as part of this fake cast, it's just these little tweaks that you make and that gives you, a, right, the edge. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Cool, cool. So again, yes, to answer your question, I would love to get to that standard. And right now I don't have time to go pull the weeds out of my garden. Never mind going practice hours and hours. <laughs> yeah, your schedule is kind of crazy. Like when you look <laughs> ahead, I've heard all the stuff you have going. 
And it sounds like you're enjoying it. I mean, do you love the travel? Is that something you still just love the travel? I do and I don't. You know, I have a, I have a, a wife and two kids, obviously a family, and um, and the travel takes me away from them. Sometimes I'm lucky enough that my son comes with me. Like mm. we go to Alaska in July every year. Oh, and nice. Host a trip, and he comes with me, and I get to have some fun with him. But that part of the of the, the traveling is frustrating. But I absolutely, I love, I'm always, I love traveling. I like not so much the traveling. I like being in new destinations, meeting new people and new cultures, and eating new folk foods and trying to learn some of the new language and looking at some of the local architecture and cultures that are there. I absolutely enjoy all of that. And I'm lucky enough that my job allows me to go and experience some of these things with, um, with the fishing. That's it. That's it. Perfect. Well, I'm going to be doing some traveling this year. And I, like we said, at the start of the ski to school, you know, heading up, I'm going to be heading up there to our little event. And yeah, I'd be interested to hear if, you know, we might be able to connect with you. I'm not sure if the stars are going to align, but what are your thoughts there on, you know, um, of that potentially happening? Because I think we've talked over the years. I've never fished with you or been even at the same lodge. What does that look like? Well, that was that sounds really amazing. Sounds ideal. I don't know what it looks like. I, I don't know what dates you're planning on thinking of going up there, but the concept is bloody awesome. Yeah, totally, totally. We'll we'll keep in touch on that and see if we can uh, if we can overlap or maybe there's we're going to be close on the timing to see if you know we might be able to connect and you know see you guys. I know. I know for us, it's just kind of the same thing. We're probably going to have six people or maybe, I'm not quite sure how many people will be there, but there'll be a small group of people and it's just a way to kind of like connect, right? A little bit deeper with your your people. That's how I kind of look at it. I, I think so. I, I mean, I'm, I'm all for these connections. Yeah, this, it's such a great industry that the, uh, and I say industry, and I don't mean industry as in from the industry side. Let's call it a great sport, but it's not really a sport right. as such. But it's a, the, you know, the fraternity of... Um, yeah. What is it? What is it, Simon? That's what you got to It's not an industry. The industry is not the good word. The sport's not a good word. What is the good word for fly fishing? Um, experience, maybe? Yeah. I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'll have to go and read a big dictionary or something yeah. and find some right. cool word. You know, it's just the general 95% of the people you meet in this in this group, whatever you want to call it, are, they are so, you know, we share similar as you know, you share similar outlooks on life and similar what you're looking for, good, beautiful, scenic environments, some quiet time, some good cars, maybe a couple of fish. Um, so the outdoors, right? The outdoors. Outdoors, absolutely. Pretty parts of the world. So generally, when you when you do these things, right, you do meet these some just great, great people. And it's very rare that there's some bloody rotten tomato and yeah. lots of bowl. Occasionally, yep. generally not. And so... Uh, I, I'm all for meeting more people that uh, make me smile. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. All right, Simon, well, we'll leave it at that. We'll send everybody out. We'll put links in the show notes for Farbank and Rio and all the videos and everything you guys have going, and we'll uh, have people connect if they want to ask you questions or uh, just keep in touch with you. Thanks for all the time today. Absolutely. Dave, you make it easy as always. It's such an easy way of chatting to you. There it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 451. 451 right now check it out and i'm sure there's going to be a simon video or two simon's got a great uh resource he talked about today all the great videos and stuff from the back from the rio uh modern space casting video we talked about back in the old day uh, old days of dvd to what sounds like they're building which is a pretty um epic channel there with their far bank and everything there with rio check it out right now we'll have links to some of those videos you can check it out and a reminder, the Skeena Space School right now is live. You can win a chance at a shot to head to the Skeena Space Lodge and the crew 
fish one of the great rivers, the Skeena Basin, and just uh, hang out with me and some of the people on this podcast is what it's going to be. We're going to have some. Uh, we're going to have at least a couple of fireside chats with Dave. So if you want to get involved in this trip and uh, and experience the Skeena River um, straight up, this is the one to do. Check it out right now wetflyswing.com slash giveaway to enter or if you want to save a slot for one of these trips wetflyswing.com slash school right now school and you can enter your name and email and we'll follow up with you and let you know if there's anything uh, available right now big listener shout out before we get out of here paul page paul page reached out and paul said uh thanks dave i have listened to your podcast several times and enjoy it a lot i live in vancouver bc and as a new Fly angler and tire, I like to fish for and tie flies for trout. As a stay-at-home dad, my time is very valuable and I get to imagine fishing more than I get to do it. I tie more flies than I lose when I go out, so podcasts and fly tying are where it's at currently. There we go. Paul Page, thank you for reaching out and that great email, Paul. I appreciate you for listening to the podcast. And, uh, and we're going to serve up something for you uh, on this podcast. We'll be in touch with you and we'll make sure to get an episode together for you. If you want to get a shout out, if you're listening right now and want to get a shout out on this podcast, reach out to me, Dave, at wetflyswing.com anytime and let me know what you have going. And I do want to add before we get out of here, Paul in his email line has a great uh, Henry David Thoreau quote. And here it is, a quote, I went to the woods because I wish to live deliberately to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Henry David Thoreau, that one is going, um, I'm going to have to take that one, Paul, and uh, put it in a couple of places. That's amazing. That's going to go in the show notes for sure on this one. We're going to have that quote right up front so people can check it out. Henry David Thoreau, amazing. All right, that is a super way to end the podcast. I'm not even going to go deep into anything. I'm going to leave it right there, Henry David Thoreau, and uh, and let you think about that quote. Let's just go back to that quote. And do we want to read it one more time? Do I try to read it one more time and see if I can do a better read? Let's give it a shot. Henry David Thoreau. I went to the woods because I wished to live deliberately, to front only the essential facts of life and see if I could not learn what it had to teach and not, when I came to die, discover that I had not lived. Amazing. It is so late, so late in the night that it is, it's actually morning. And, uh, and I can get ready to fish. That's how late it is when you're up so late that you can actually get ready um, to head out on the water. Um, that's kind of on the rage that I'm going here. So, uh, so I hope you are uh, having a good, uh, a good evening. I hope you're having a good morning or good afternoon wherever in the world you are. And I appreciate you for stopping in today and checking out the podcast. And I look forward to seeing you on the next episode. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.